Well, good morning, and welcome to Journey again. Uh, my name is Randy. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to see everybody out here, and welcome those who are on Facebook Live. We always have, uh, love to have people join us there as well. And, uh, you know, it's great to see people. I always felt like from the first year I moved here that everybody was leaving town but me on fall break and spring break. I always felt like that, and when people showed up, I was like, oh, I'm not the only one in town, but I'm glad you're here. A lot of you are, are here, but we have a lot of people who are traveling and we want to pray for their safety and protection, and they have a great time uh, and get back here safe and everything. But, uh, wow, you know, we did have a great time uh, Friday night. That was incredible to see so many young people and uh, the, uh, the different schools, Woodford County, Anderson County, and Midway College. And uh, we, we love Bug. Man, we're, we're behind you, Bug. Uh, we support you as a church and many of us uh, as well. And uh, you're doing great things. Thank you. Be encouraged. And uh, God is moving in that area specifically. God's moving in a lot of areas, isn't He, in our lives? And I hope He's moving in your life personally. I hope that you can pinpoint something that God is changing in your heart and life. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about grace, amazing grace. And uh, we're going to be proclaiming that a lot. We're going to be talking about different facets of grace and about how we show that to other people and how we experience it ourselves. You know, uh, we live in an aw- awfully odd world today, and one I never thought I would see uh, things of. You know, there's, there's really good things, there's really bad things happening all around us, right? We, we all can agree on that. Uh, but one of the things that impacts our lives in a major way is social media. Uh, it gives us a lot of positive things. It gives us information instantaneously. You know, you can find out anything, any moment, just by going on social media, you know. It gives us connection with people. Uh, we, we find people that we haven't heard from in years. We can, you know, connect with them, and uh, we can communicate with them in, in many ways, uh, interaction with people. But one of the, the negative things it brings is controversy. Controversy. Never has it been easier to disagree with someone, uh, you know, vehemently and let that be known to so many people at once without having to look the person in the eye, you know? Uh, voices of Versailles, hell out to that. There, there's, one, uh, there's one called Woodford Winers that I got on the other night. I thought, well, that's interesting. At least we can be honest about where you are. Uh, but at any rate, uh, but uh, we express our opinion, state our platform. But, you know, it wasn't always that way, right? We all remember times when we actually had to stand in front of someone and speak to them if we were going to disagree with them. And uh, many years ago, there was a British conference, another country, but it was among Christians, and they were comparing different religions that brought experts from all over the world together to debate uh, the, the tenets of Christianity and what specifically was unique to Christianity compared to other religions, what was unique to Christianity? What made it different? Was it God becoming a man? And they said, no, that's, that's incredible, but many of the Greek myths had gods becoming human beings, right? Was it the resurrection? No, there was uh, death to life was in other religions as well. Was it about a heaven, uh, about a place of reward? No, every religion seems to have that. Is it life after death, love for your neighbor, good works, caring for the poor and the homeless in our society? Uh, you know, was it sin, judgment? All those things seem to be in most religions. And finally, a man spoke up who we all probably have heard of, a man named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a great theologian. He was from Britain. And uh, he, he entered the conversation. He had once been an atheist, and then he'd become an agnostic, and then he had become a Christian. And he was one of the greatest uh, theologians and preachers and writers and thinkers of all time. But he overheard this conversation being spoken, and, and, he, and he quickly said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. The grace is the most defining thing between Christianity and every other 
world religion. And they all quickly agreed. You know, they all came together on one thing. But the notion of God coming down to our earth, coming to us, his love given to us free of charge with no strings attached goes against every instinct of humanity, against everything that's a part of us. It's not how we normally, naturally think about things. And it's not how most religions think of it either. There's a, in the Buddhism, there's the eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant that the Jews kept, the Muslim code of law. Each of those things offers a way to go to earn God approval of their gods. But only Christianity, only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional to all of us. And that's why we wanted to talk a little bit about grace. And for a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some facets of grace, which is, again, the most distinct idea within the Christian faith. But you know, it's also the most difficult thing to accept as well. In fact, it's almost too good to believe and too easy to accept, and so many of us make it really, really difficult. And in fact, grace is kind of a convoluted, um, confused topic, and we talk about it in a lot of different ways. For example, uh, we say grace before our meals. Why do we call it that? I'm not sure, but we say grace. We're grateful when we receive something. We're gratified if we get enough. We're congratulated if we're successful. We're gracious if we're kind. We leave a gratuity if we've been served well. Credit cards have what, that grace period that you don't have to pay a few weeks there until the end of the month if you don't have to pay your bill. We even use it to describe when people uh, fall from grace, right? Like the Bill Cosby and the Harvey Weinstein, people like that that once were looked up to and now they've fallen from grace. We say someone without grace is an ingrate or a disgrace. We speak of someone having no saving grace about them. Persona non grata, someone who doesn't show grace. So many ways we think about it. We use the concept of grace in a lot of ways. And then there's a way that we think about and we interact with receiving grace. There's a way that we think about that. Sometimes we reject the grace of God. Sometimes we cheapen the grace of God. Some require God's grace to be earned, which really isn't grace at all. Sometimes we take God's grace and then we refuse it to show it to other people. Sometimes we claim grace when it doesn't belong, where it shouldn't be. All of those things which are wrong uses of, of grace, by the way. But other people, and sometimes we embrace grace fully and freely and completely as God intended for it to be. And so that's what we wanted to take a little bit of time. We want to talk about getting grace right. What does grace really mean? It's been abused. It's been misunderstood. It's been neglected, forgotten, unknown. How do we understand grace in the right picture? Because it's a pretty important thing, being the most distinctive thing about the Christian faith. And the Bible says, we're going to learn this, that we are saved by grace so it's pretty important. And we're going to talk about what grace really means today. We're going to talk about how we can diminish or cheapen grace. That's next week. And then the next week, we're going to talk about how we ought to be extending grace to other people. So that'll give us a pretty big picture, an overall picture of what grace is really all about. And that's why we're calling this getting grace right, the different facets of grace. And so today, we're going to kind of do some deep study in the Bible about why grace is needed. We're going to look at the theological and the biblical basis of grace. And we're going to kind of look and see this overall picture of God and humanity and how it all comes together. So to start with, we're going to look at five background issues. And these are big issues. We're going to talk about the nature of God, the law of God, the human condition, the Old Testament sacrificial system, 
and then we're going to talk about Jesus. So there's kind of the outline for the next five or, or ten minutes, and we're going to hit real, each one real quickly, all right? First of all, let's look at the nature of God. To understand why grace is needed, we got to know the nature of God. God is perfect, and God is holy. And because of that, sin is repulsive to God. God will not, cannot stand in the presence of sin. You got to know that about God. He's perfect and He's holy, and sin is the opposite. He can't look at it, He can't exist around it. When His own Son was on the cross, He had to turn away from the sin that His Son was bearing. The holiness of God demands that He either remove sin or destroy sin. And so we read in the Bible many times, the Old Testament, where God would destroy sin and all the people who were engaged in it. That's a pretty destructive way to get rid of it, but God cannot abide sin in any way. But on the other hand, God is also love. That's one of the major characteristics of God, which means somehow that the holiness of God and the love of God have to be reconciled, they have to exist, and they have to be able to be displayed together. That is the very nature of who God is. The second thing we got to understand is the moral and the spiritual law of God. Because God feels this way about sin and is so separate from sin, God has certain rights and certain wrongs, certain standards and dictates. And God has given us the law. We don't always understand the, God, the law of God. We don't always, you know, agree with the law of God. But you know what? It's not our law. It's God's law. Because He is holy, because He is perfect, because He is the authority and the creator, He he sets down the law. And so when he sets the law down, it's our job to obey the law. So we have to understand who God is, and we do understand who God is, through the law, through what is passed to us, his person and his will, his nature and character. And when we understand that, and we acknowledge that, and we respect him and obey God, that's an act of love. That's what God calls us to do, to obey God. Very basic. But when we disobey God, it is an attack on the very nature of God. What we're saying is that we are wiser than God, that we are greater than God, that we don't respect God. We're not going to obey what God has to say. And because God is the creator, God has the ability to punish that disobedience. The penalty, in fact, is very serious. In fact, it's the most serious of all. Romans chapter 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the punishment of sin because of the nature of God, His holiness, and because of the law of God, the punishment for sin is death. Now, we see this comes true in the very beginning when the first sin was committed, right? That Adam and Eve were not intended to die. They were intended to live forever because of their sin. God said, if you sin, eat of this tree, you will surely die. And because of their disobedience, death became the, their punishment, but also for all of humanity. So we know that all of us eventually age and we ultimately die because we are human. So there is physical death that was a result of man's sin. But the greater reality is spiritual death. Spiritual death. It's not just that man would get old in the body and die. When man sins, when you and I sin, we are separated from God because of the holiness of God, the purity of God. Our sin breaks that relationship and destroys the intimacy that God wants to have with each of us. And that happens in all of our lives. So sin is an act, an, an, an intentional act of rebellion against God. And it's always been, God's always been upfront about what's going to happen when people sin. It's going to lead to death. Physical death for all of us, but spiritual death, separation from God, which is, death basically means separation from what we know and have experienced. The third reality is the human condition. 
the human condition. So let's look at who we are. All of us are sinners, every one of us. Romans chapter 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the problem. While we're sinners, we can't do anything about it. We're human, we're broken, we can't save ourselves, we can't lift ourselves up out of this situation, our sinfulness, it's who we are. You know, I've always been kind of fascinated with the word, with the word sin and what it really means, where it came from. I, I'm sure I've told you this before, but sin is an archery term. Some of you guys know this pretty well, we've got a pretty good archery clubs in our school. But in archery, in that day, if they would aim for the bullseye and they would miss the mark, that would be a sin, they would call that a sin. So sin means to miss the mark. And whether it was an inch or a mile, if you didn't hit the bullseye, you still, that was a sin. And you know what? That's what sin is for us today. We all miss the mark. The mark is Jesus. He is our target. He is perfection, which is what a bullseye, perfection. Uh, We all miss that. Some people miss it a lot and a lot more often and a lot further, right? Some are better than others. But in reality, nobody hits the bullseye. Nobody is perfect all the time. And it's not just about a failure to be perfect. We can easily blow it off and say, oh, we're not, nobody's perfect. But the reality is, is that many of our sins, most of our sins are not just imperfections in us, they are intentional decisions in us. We don't just fail to be perfect, we intentionally decide not to be perfect. We decide that we're going to miss the mark on perfect, we're going to pull off the mark because we want to do something else. It's our willful choices, our decisions, and in many of us, literally, it's our rebellion against God that we choose to do. It's knowing what God wants and demands, and we choose instead to do otherwise what we want. So whether it's a big sin or a small sin, that we might categorize them, they're all choices, all of them are sins, and we earn what we deserve through our sin, which is death. And unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do about that. There is no salvation by our good works, no matter how many we do. That is the human condition. Now, that kind of brings us to something we talked about just recently, the Old Testament sacrificial system. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, which is kind of fascinating if you go back and look at it. But very briefly, in the Old Testament, God established an animal sacrificial system to atone for or to pay for the sins of man. This happened very quickly. In fact, in the book of Genesis, very early, we read about sacrifices being made. And they would bring an animal, an innocent animal, and they would kill it before God and pour out the blood and burn uh, the flesh uh, of the animal on an altar before God. And the smell would go up and would atone for their sins. So God established an animal sacrificial system. And it really, again, it shows us how serious sin is. Something had to die. An innocent animal had to die. And initially, it, it was killed for the, the, the hide or the skin to cover their nakedness and their shame. But then, continued on, the animal would be used to burn and, and to sacrifice for their sin. But it was only a substitute for that person. It bore their guilt. And for example, in the Old Testament, a Passover lamb was to be chosen uh, sometime before Passover. And they would bring the lamb into their home, and it became a part of their family, kind of like what our dogs or cats might be today. And they would live with them, and the children would love the animal, and they would become a family member, and then they would put it to death to show their family how serious it was that they sinned. That was one of the sacrifices. Another sacrifice was called the scapegoat. On the annual Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in, take a goat, and symbolically lay his hands on the goat to transfer the sins of the people to the animal. And then it was driven out into the wilderness to die. In fact, it was 
commanded or demanded that no one were to feed and care for it. It was to be isolated and it was to die for the sins of the people. It was the scapegoat, a perfect animal, healthy, no blemish or mark, but sins laid upon it, and then it was to die. You know what? God was the one who set this all up. He set the terms because God is the one who has been sinned against. He has the right to do that. The system, uh, the laws, everything, God has the right. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the whole sacrificial system was flawed because it was only temporary. Why? Because the Bible says the blood of sheep and goats cannot take away the sins of mankind. It cannot atone for the sin of the world. And God said, God acknowledged that, and God spoke to the prophets many times and said, you know what, I'm going to replace that. In fact, there will be one who will come from God who will take away the sins of the world once and for all. He would be the scapegoat. All the sins would be laid upon him, innocent, without blemish, but sins would be laid upon him, and he would be pushed out. He would suffer, and he would die for all. And that brings us to Jesus, the fifth point. Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Jesus, the one who brought that to a culmination. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called the high priest, the one who went bef- goes before God to bring the sins of the people. He always went into the temple on the Day of Atonement on behalf of the people to offer the sacrifice. But instead of killing an animal or laying the sin on an animal, he offered his own blood. In fact, John the Baptist recognized him as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, pointing people to him and say, this is the one who will take this away. So Jesus was the fulfillment of a Savior who had been promised from back in the book of Genesis, Acts in Genesis 3. When sin first came in, there was a promise of one who would, would be bruised, but would bruise the, the head of the serpent, Satan. And Jesus was the one who fulfilled that. Jesus was the one who came and was God's way of balancing his holiness with his love, demanding justice, and yet paying for it himself because no one else could. It was where the justice of God met the mercy of God. And because of his holiness, God could not overlook sin. He couldn't minimize sin, but he could pay for it. And his holiness demanded payment, and his love provided the payment, and that was Jesus. And Jesus came to lay down his life and to pay the price that was owed. And then all of that brings us to grace. Having an understanding of who God is and who we are, we understand better, we can begin to understand what grace really is. And grace defined is that which is freely given and totally undeserved. It's a great working definition, that which is freely given and that which is totally undeserved. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, heaven, and not getting what you do deserve, you are spared hell. That is what grace is all about. Grace is what saves us. Again, we saw it on the screen earlier, but Ephesians chapter 2 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Grace is the gift of God, and grace is what saves us through our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and God offers this grace to every one of us. He invites us to to like a grace party where you can come, you can come. You know, many of us, I said earlier, we we may have received grace, but we don't always offer grace. When we don't give people a break, we don't worry about what they're dealing with in life, what their challenges are, what their problems are, where they're coming from. You know, we only think about ourselves, but God 
God overlooked all of that. He, didn't, he wasn't selfish enough to just be concerned about his holiness. He was loving enough to offer us this incredible grace. Now, how do you know if you need grace? Let me just, will you just take a breath? Okay, you need grace, all right? If you're breathing, you need grace. Every one of us do. None of us are exempt from that, all right, in a lot of ways, but especially in light of the nature of God and the law of God and our human condition. Those three things tell us that we need grace because we're not like God, because we stand condemned by the law of God, because all of us are broken. And without grace, we're stuck trying to deal with our broken situation, our sinful lives. And that's every one of us, whether we acknowledge it or not. In fact, we cannot receive God's grace until we acknowledge these things. I think that may be why a lot of people have not received the grace of God or not embraced it because they haven't come to the point of being broken enough to say, I got, a, I got issues. I, I'm a broken person. I need the grace of God. Amen. The Old Testament sacrificial system worked for a while, but it doesn't work for us. The solution is not to go kill an animal, you know, just to, to, to burn it. That, that's not what it's about. In fact, they don't do that. It hasn't happened for a couple thousand years. The answer is to accept the, the, the sacrifice that God's offered to us, the death of Jesus in our place. And if we receive this gift, it will bridge the gap created by sin between our, our sin and God's perfection. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says it like this, God is on one side and all the people are on the other side. And Christ Jesus himself, man, is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. That's an incredible verse of Scripture that defines very clearly where we are, where God is, and how Jesus positioned himself between us. In fact, it gives us the idea of a bridge. You know, bridges are pretty important when you think about it. You think about what they do and how they allow us to get around things, right? They connect things that are separated. I was thinking of this, and I thought, I wonder what the longest bridge in the world is. longest bridge in the world is the Danyang Kushan Bridge in China. It's 102.4 miles long. It's longer than the Bluegrass Parkway, further than here to Cincinnati. I mean, that's, that's a bridge. Oh, that's a long bridge, right? It's a lot of distance, but that's nothing compared to the distance of our sin and God's perfection. Nothing compared to that. And God built the bridge to connect us to Him. And so I want to kind of show you a little illustration here that I think maybe will help kind of show us what it's all about. In the first slide, we see how things God, how God wanted things to be. And that is you and God together, connected by heart. That's how it was in the beginning. And that's how God wants it to be, every one of us, to have that relationship with Him. But we know that because of man's sin, that man rebelled and he created, uh, disobeyed obeyed God, and he created a chasm or a canyon between us and God. That oneness that should have been there with the heart was broken. And it broke God's heart, by the way, when that happened. And that chasm was created and that's kind of the human condition. And all of us, we feel the distance. You know, someone said there's a God-shaped uh, void or op a hole in every person's heart. And we feel that distance from God. We all feel that brokenness from God. And we try to fix it, you know. We try to earn it with good works. But none of those things will ever be enough. None of those things will ever bridge the gap. Because remember, it took the shed blood of an animal to symbolically atone for sin. So nothing could do that, and we have nothing that valuable except our own lives to offer, so we don't want to die, right? We want to live, 
And so the result of that is in spite of all of our attempts, we are pretty much wrecked. You know, we try and we go over the, over the edge into the canyon every time. Our lives are pretty much wrecked. But God loved us so much that God said, I want to fix that. And God provided a bridge over which we can find forgiveness and full restoration and reconciliation in our relationship with Him. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so what God did is He provided a bridge. And the bridge was the, is the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sin. He bridged the gap between us and, and, and a perfect God. But you know what? Just the fact that Jesus did this for us, and even us knowing that is not enough. Even believing that and being aware of that is not enough. And that's the problem that so many people have. Most people would not agree with anything I've said so far. But the Bible teaches us that we have to act upon it. We have to accept it. We have to receive the gift, the cross. You have to cross the bridge. You can't just stare and say it's a great bridge and never cross the bridge that's been provided for us. Because a gift is not truly your gift unless you reach out and receive the gift until you take it. And when we do so, what happens is suddenly we move from our sin to God's perfection through the bridge. We cross over it, and we're once again in the relationship that we were with God and God intended. Now, here's the thing. I want to make it personal. I think all of us are somewhere on this graphic. It's kind of rough and, and simple, but all of us are some there, somewhere. Some of us are in slide one. We're one with God, naturally. And that would be the toddlers and infants in the room, to be honest with you. That's those people who have never sinned. So if you are a baby, you have never sinned, you're one with God. We believe that. All of us end up in slide two. We all end up separated from God. We're broken and, uh, and, and we're, we're shattered. And of all of those who are shattered, we're all in slide three. We're kind of wrecking our lives. We're trying to reach God on our own. But we're not doing a very good job about it. We're kind of failing through that. And if that's where you are, I would just encourage you to admit it because that's the first step of finding some hope. All of us are there at some point in our life. We just need to acknowledge that. Maybe, though, you understand the bridge. You're at the place where you kind of see the bridge and you, you acknowledge that that, uh, that, that you need a bridge and that God's given that. Maybe you're on the bridge. You know, maybe you're just at the edge thinking about taking your first step of crossing over to coming to God through Christ. And if so, then you're only one decision away from having everything change in your life and experiencing the grace of God. But I will tell you that it's not an easy decision. In fact, the Bible says it's not supposed to be that we are to count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus. You've got to understand what it costs God, what it costs Jesus, and what it costs us to commit our life to Christ. And the first thing we have to do is to admit the truth about ourselves, which is hard for many of us that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, that we are broken people. You have to acknowledge that you are lost before you can be saved, and you have to believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. First John chapter 1 says, if we claim to be without sin, we receive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we have to be honest about that. Secondly, we have to be open enough to say, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to turn from how I have been living my life I'm going to start letting Jesus lead in my life. The Bible calls that repentance. It's turning away from self and turning to Christ and following Him. Acts chapter 3, the Bible says, repent and turn to God. Thirdly, 
we have to be willing to confess with our mouth. Confess with our mouth that you believe this. Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then fourthly, because you believe this in your heart and you're coming to this place, you need to act on that decision. You must take a step forward to God through Christ to reach God. You cannot get there with wishful thinking, but you have to pass through the cross to get there. And you know the cross symbolizes baptism because just as Jesus died, he was buried and came back to life again. In Christian baptism, we experience that. We die to ourselves, we're put under the waters of baptism, and we're raised up to walk with him again. In Romans chapter 6, it pictures that. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Note that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's a beautiful picture of us experiencing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and literally crossing through the cross and coming to the Lord because of the way that, that he's provided for us. You know, the reality is that all of us deserve to die for our sins. None of us deserve the grace of God. But God, in his love and his mercy, God said, no, I want to fix that. I want to provide a way for them. And that's what grace really is. That's what grace is, that which is freely given and totally undeserved. And every one of us need that. And again, in Ephesians chapter 2, this time in the message version, it says, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. God's gift. Grace is a gift of God. Because it's a gift, though, it has to be received. You can't just acknowledge that it's there. You have to actually receive it because something isn't yours until you actually take it, right? And that's where we're at today as we kind of conclude our, our message is I want to challenge you and ask you, where are you on the scale of grace? Where are you on the illustration that we gave? And, and hopefully on the way through, you, you recognize where you were. And my prayer is that you're at the final slide, that you're in a relationship with God and you're one with God again, in spite of your sin, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for each and every one of us. But I'm going to ask us as we kind of wrap up, I'm going to ask everyone just to kind of close your eyes for a moment here. And I'm going to challenge you as we kind of walk through this mentally for us, personally, real, real quick as we, as we wrap up. Have we believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, living God? Have we been willing to acknowledge that and, and so much so that we would choose to follow him and give our life to him above anything and anyone else and turn from the way we've been living our life to follow Christ? Have we been courageous enough to confess or acknowledge that publicly, verbally before others? And if so, have you taken that step forward toward Christ through, through the cross in baptism? And if you would have to say, you know, there's something that I haven't done. I've stopped short of being fully obedient and, and willing and responsive to Him, then, then we would love to help you take your next step in the journey of grace. I'm going to be down front on one side. Tony uh, will be on the other. We'd love to just talk to you, pray with you, whatever it might be to take that step. Because if you cannot say that I am right with God, then there's something lacking, and we want to help you move on your simple journey toward Jesus. My prayer is for you. And let me pray. Dear Lord, God, I pray that as each of us examine our hearts, 
And Lord, you would be real to us, maybe for the first time or maybe in the most real way ever, that God, we would all just see the simplicity of, of grace, that it wouldn't be complicated, that it wouldn't be confused or convoluted by all the things that we throw up in the middle of it. But God, it would simply be an, a, a gift that you extend to us, and Lord, that each of us courageously and joyfully embrace. God, thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not accepted your grace, not responded to your grace, and not, not come through the cross of Christ to you, Lord, they would have the courage to, to step out this morning and to make that decision. Lord, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Right now, we're going to see and experience the greatest expression of faith, I believe, which, uh, of grace, uh, which is celebrating the, the death of Christ and the, uh, the time that we have to come and reflect on, on His love for us. And if you're a believer today, we invite you to come and share with us. It's really His table that He invites you to. And uh, our tradition is we just come up these side aisles and, and then circle back to your seats. But, but we ask that you do so. And uh, it's a time of response for all of us. It's also a time of sharing in the communion together with one another and, and with our Father. And so we, uh, we'll take the cup that represents the spilt blood of Jesus and the bread that represents the broken body of our Lord. And as we do so, we'll remember His love for us. Let's do so just now.